this is Lisa Meister. Welcome to the podcast. Today we are interviewing Isabel. She is a survivor of voodoo and also sex trafficking. This is a long interview, so I'm cutting it into three pieces. So this is the first section, and she has a very long, very sad, harrowing tale. And I hope you'll join us through this whole episode as she talks about growing up in Africa, being taken to England, and the isolation that she feels. This is a very triggering episode, so please, uh, if you are vulnerable, be very careful. Thank you. Hello, my name is Lisa Meister. I'm an SRA survivor. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we have something very different. We have Isabel coming to us from England. And she is here to tell of her harrowing story of sex trafficking and voodoo, and also of the tremendous power of God who's delivered her, gotten her out, and set her free. So, Isabel, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so privileged to be here. Okay, so I'll start by um, talking to the audience a little bit about my background. I was born in West Africa, which is Nigeria. I actually come from the river states. It's actually called um, Calabar, which is a Kwaibom state. And a lot of my life, there's been a lot of ancestry curse. And um, if you go back and you look into a lot of African, um, um, African heritage, there's a lot of voodoo and ancestries, um, occultic things that has been done in ancient time, which goes back to the... So back to all the time in Babylon, in the even in before the biblical time, like I spoke about previously. Okay, I was born into the water spirit, which is actually called mammy water. Mammy water is actually a thing called mermaid. A lot of Africans would know about this, and even in the Western, it's called. It's to do with water goddess. It all started when I was born. My mother's father had actually died and her parents had died. She was a poor woman, like she was basically left without losing her parents at a very young age. She was really poor and trying to find her way, you know, in life at the age of, I believe she had me at the age of 17 years of age in the village. And she decided to dedicate me to the water spirit. And my father was actually someone who was wealthy. But as for herself, she wanted to sort of come away from the poverty. She didn't know a way in which to. So she sacrificed me to the spirit water. I was supposed to be sacrificed at the particular age. I was actually supposed to be sacrificed, killed, so that she can um, acquire wealth. My father refused to marry her. And she was very angry about that because she was 17 years of age. You know, a very pretty young a um, girl at a time, lady at a time. And she left me at the age of two years old. She got married in Africa, came here to England with um, a, another guy, another man. And that guy actually had a child, which is my, my, one of my siblings, who's about eight years or seven years younger than, younger than myself. She came here, started a whole family, right? I was left without nobody. And I went through uh, um, malnutrition. I was passed from pillar to pillar. My father was disinterested in me. 
for the simple fact that he was a womanizer, but he was a wealthy woman, a guy who was womanizing um, different women. I wasn't treated well. I was treated like a slave. I um, never had, was never showed love. However, I was being, um, at a very little age, I was being nurtured into going into Christianity, which a lot of Africans um, go in, you know, they teach their children the Bible and how to love Jesus and to love God. But in the process of that, I had an ancestry curse that had gone through the bloodline. Right, going back, my mother's mother was actually a, a mixed race woman from, she wasn't a full, she wasn't, um, she was actually half Philippines and actually half Nigerian. And when she married my father's, my mother's husband, sorry, sorry, my um, mother's, my grandmother, sorry, my grandfather, which is my mother's father at the time, there was, there was always this thing about race you know, in the African culture. If you don't marry your type, you know, the person from the same tribe as you, you are hated and they'll do voodoo and they'll try to kill. So they killed my grandmother at such a young age, which really left my mother very distraught, bitter, angry, all alone. And as well with the resentment from my father who could have sort of come in to love her and to, you know, sort of protect her and myself. And she resented me for that, simply because of my father and the death of her parents. So when she came to England, she left me and um, I was mistreated by so many people. At the age of five years old, I was in the village. I remember her coming to see me. I didn't know at the time it was her. She looked at me. She goes, I'm looking for, she mentioned my name. At the time I was called M.M. So she goes, I'm looking for MM. And I was, I looked up, I said, I am her at the age of five. And she looked at me, she started crying. I was so malnourished that my head was so massive. My stomach was out there. You could see that I'd really suffered. And she cried and she goes, she went and she spoke to somebody and she said, I'm your mother. So I went and hugged her and I was like, oh, you know, and she goes, I'll come and get you soon. You know, I'll go and prepare to bring you to England. And I was so happy as a little child. While I was in Africa, I encountered a lot of things. One of the things I encountered at a very young age, I was five years old. I was going to the stream to get water. And I met, I've actually met a real mammy water, which is what you call a mermaid. A mermaid is not what you see on TV. It's not that beautiful. It's actually a lizard kind of slimy looking thing. And it has a, a sort of like a fish thing, but it doesn't have scales. It's kind of like very slimy. Have you ever seen sort of um, mackerel? You know, the texture of mackerel fish but not the same sort of color. And it had like this head, but the head is very ugly. It doesn't have hair. It's a very ugly and it screeches. The voice screeches. I went to the stream to fetch some water. This was about 4 a.m. And when I went to fetch the water, I saw this thing and it was screeching with a horrible noise. I actually saw it. It came out of the water. And I screamed, I threw 
down the bucket and I ran. I had to run from the stream through the forest back to the house. That was my first encounter with an actual mermaid, what they call mammy water. And I remember I went back to the house very scared. In the process, I had loads of people in that tried to sexually abuse me loads of times. Both the young, I had this young girl that tried to sex to have sex with me, but you know, I always tried fighting. So I moved later on. My mother came and my mother turned around, called my father, and said, Come and pick her up. My father picked me up at this particular time. He was getting engaged with this other lady. He forced me and told me I must call this woman mother. I said no. He whipped me with a um, belt and with a long cane. And when he would leave me at one point, he, I ran out of the house. I didn't have nowhere else to stay. This was like at the age of six years old. I didn't have nowhere else to stay. Later on, someone found out where I was. They took me back to the house, the other lady who was starving me. I remember sitting there and everyone is eating in a tray. And I start eating. I was only six years old. Imagine having a big, massive tray and everyone's eating. And my stomach, I can't even, and I'm eating one scoop. By the time I even take two scoops, the whole food is finished. So I was really, really, I was really treated badly, even in Africa as a little child. And I remember at a time, my mother tried to get several people to look, to look after me. My father didn't want to know me. I ended up living with this other lady called Agnes. She's now, she's passed away. She took me out of a school, a private school that I was supposed to be going to, put me in a public school, shaved off my hair, and really, I was really abused. And then I moved on to going to one of my, actually my real auntie, who's um, actually older than my mother. She's an elder sister. She took care of me for a while, but then she got married, got engaged, and came to America, Texas, Houston, to live. And I was then passed on again to an uncle of mine who's passed away. God bless his soul. He's the only person who ever really cared about me. And um, he took me to the northern part of Africa. It's actually called Hausa. It is the Hausa. It, they call them, I, I believe it's Fulanis. If you go back into West African history, it's called the Fulani, which is actually the Hausa tribe. It's called Abuja. A lot of um, a lot of the northern people all over the world and from the east go there to do businesses. My mother decided to speak to uncle, my uncle Tony at the time, and um, he was a wealthy man, lived quite well, a civil engineer, and he took care of me. This is where the whole my whole life sort of spanned into the possession. So when I got there, I was very lonely because my uncle was always working. I was in a big house. I didn't know nobody. I wasn't in school. I couldn't go to school because I was staying there for a short period of time. I was supposed to be coming to try to get me to England to join my mother. Three weeks or maybe about a month into there, I see this young girl very beautiful young girl, light-skinned, European features. And we was at the tennis court, the public tennis court. 
And she said to me, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're such a lovely girl. And I said, thank you. So I tried to make friends with her. She was only about maybe two years older than myself. And I said to her, thank you. At the time, I'd just turned 13, I believe. I came into the country May 1999. She actually said to me, look, I want you to come over to my house, meet, meet my aunties. And I said, why? She goes, you're very, very beautiful. Has anyone ever told you you're so beautiful? All stroking me. Then she goes, come and meet my auntie. I want to talk to you about something. They're going to talk to you about something. So I said to her, what is it about? She just goes, are you a virgin? And I went, yeah, I am a virgin. And I said, are you a virgin? She went, no, I'm not a virgin. And I said, she goes, when you do it, it's really lovely. She goes, look, and I thought, okay, I was a bit kind of taken back, but I thought at least I've got a friend, someone of my age group that I could talk to. So she said to me, come to my house to meet my aunties. Three days later, I go to the house. And when I got to the house, they had like a, a headquarter at the back of the building, beautiful houses. And when I got there, the auntie said, come through the back. So I go through the back and as I got there, inside of it didn't look as beautiful as the front, um, front part of the home. It was quite dark. And they had like a mattress on the bed. They had like, I believe it was a single mattress on the floor with a white sheet laid. And then there was a round table with two chairs. So they went, are you hungry? I went, yeah. So they gave me, they tried to, you know, make me feel as comfortable as possible. Sit down and they offered me a drink. They offered me food. I ate, I said, thank you. And then they said to me, you're very, very beautiful. And they said to me, have you ever had sex? I went, no, I haven't. They go, would you ever like men everywhere you go for people to love you? If you need money, money will come to you. People will just give you money for no reason. You'll be very beautiful. Like anything you want in your life, you can get. I'm only 13 years old. I've been through a lot of trauma and neglect. The first thing I think, of course, it sounds very appealing. So I end up, uh, I said, yeah, sure. They said, okay, no problem sit down I sat down all of a sudden I'm sitting down they go stand up someone comes in they turn off the light but I can see a reflection of someone coming in so I'm now getting scared now I'm thinking oh my god what's gonna happen here the next thing I know they said to me look this man is here he's gonna make all of that happen don't be afraid the man was an house man and he had European features, very dark, maybe in his 40s. I'm standing very scared. They go, go and sit on the bed. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm frightened. And they go, it's all right. It's going to be okay. The next thing I know, they close the door. The whole place is dark. I'm on the bed. I can't even see the man's eyes. I can't see the people, the women that were there. But I knew they were in the room because I could hear whispering in the room the man then stroked me he said to me I should try to take off my underwear I got scared I looked and I'm like I'm not comfortable with this please stop 
he said to me, look, it's gonna be okay. My underwear gets taken. I had, I still had some, my top on. The next thing I know, he had sex with me. It was very traumatic for me. And I'm thinking, okay, these, I'm gonna get what I want afterwards. Then the next thing I know, it went so quickly. I got, I felt something coming out of my vagina, but I didn't know what it was. There was a drip. So I'm touching, I'm scared. I'm like, what's going on? So immediately I start panicking. They turn on the lights. The man gets dressed, puts his clothes on, gets out. The women come, they get up from the chair. They come straight. They said, he's okay. I went to take my underwear to put on. They said, no, 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 it's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I said, what do I do with the, there was blood on my underwear. There was blood on the sheets. I said, what can I do? They said, don't worry about it. This is what happens when you have sex. You, you're no longer a virgin. And I said, okay. They said, now watch what will start happening. Anything you want in your life will happen. Two or three days later, all this while, my uncle was trying to get a visa for me to come to England. All this while, unsuccessful. There was always one barrier or the other. Oh, you don't have this, this document. Sorry, can't, it's been rebooked. All of a sudden, I have a date. My uncle went for the interview. They said to my uncle, they want my mother because I'm going to England on behalf of my mother to join my mother. I'm a minor. They invite my mother to come to Nigeria in order to have an interview. My mother didn't directly come to have an interview. She had an interview in England in the British embassy. In fact, my mother told me the story in the earlier days when, when I came to England. She said to me, when I was coming to get you, it was very easy to get you. It wasn't like an interview. The interviewer started laughing like, with me like she's known me for ages like she's my friend she said go and get your daughter she came to abuja north part of nigeria she said when she came to visit me the first time in um in abuja she was like see you're coming with me very excited me also excited and i'm like mom how is it over there she's like oh you're gonna love it and I'm like, oh, thank you. And I'm so excited. She said to me, don't worry about it, but I'm going to leave to go ahead of you. You do have a sibling at the time. My little sister was called, uh, my, uh, my next sister, who's Titi, who's eight or seven years younger than me, was, I believe she was five years old at the time. She had, um, she didn't even disclose to me at the time she was pregnant. She goes, I do have a husband now. And I said, okay. She goes, I'll go ahead of you. You come, don't worry. I will be waiting. As a minor, she put me on the train, on the plane. I came all by myself. No one escorted me at the age of 13. I'm going to a country that I have no clue where I'm going to. I end up exchanging two i believe i i didn't take a one-way flight completely to england i had to go i believe it was australia somewhere but i remember i had to go through two flights two separate flights to get to england 
In fact, when I got into the first flight to go to a particular place, one of the air hostess said, where is your mother? I said, she's waiting for me in England. And she said, all alone, traveling all alone. So she looked, found out where I was supposed to be going to, escorted me and guided me to get to the next plane. I finally was able to find my way to the second plane. When I got to Heathrow Airport, I waited and I saw my mother and I saw this new man. This new man is actually a Yoruba tribe, which is actually a lot of them are into voodoo. He didn't seem quite pleasant. You know, children, children always seems to sense when somebody says something bad about an adult or if something don't seem right. So I was very unsettled by his presence. It wasn't actually the fact that he wasn't my father, but it was there was something about him at the time. I could not put my hands to what it was. Then we got to the house. At the time, I was living in an estate in Isleworth, and I was living in Ivory Bridge. We was living on the 17th floor. And then she introduced me quickly to a lot of men, quite quickly. And also my stepfather did. So there was this one pedophile that lived on the third floor. I can't really mention his name because he's still alive. For um, also, you know, um, for reasons, because I've actually reported them to the police as well. I remember the man looked at me. He was a Jamaican guy with dreadlocks. Had like a rat looking face, but very skinny. He had an accent to him. And he goes... Man, your daughter is very, very pretty. And my mother and my stepfather was there when I was coming out. He goes, who's this? And they go, it's, it's my daughter. You never told me you had such a beautiful daughter. And then in Nigeria, when we see as African, we're thought about manners, respecting your elders. So when I see this man, I'm thinking, okay, this must be a neighbor or somebody who is a friend of my mother's and my stepfather's. So he's got to be a nice person for them to be introduced and laughing and everything. And then he goes, oh, she's so beautiful. Please bring her upstairs one day so I can say hello to her. And I thought, Oh, hello, uncle. Thank you so much. God bless you. So it all started with my mother. As I got into the house, I found out that my mother was actually pregnant. She was six months pregnant. She had um, a high pregnancy risk. Quite quickly, she tried to find a school for me. But she said to me, I want you to go to a particular school called Brentford School for Girls. Initially, I said to her, she goes, what school would you like to go through? I said, mom, I've been going to all mixed school. Please can I go to all mixed school? She goes, they have all girls school. I said, mom, can I go to, that's the kind of school I'm used to in Nigeria. She goes, what? Do you want to go to all mixed school because you want to go and have sex with the boys? You're not here for boys. You're here for the, to study and to make a better life for yourself. I had this picture of a boy in Africa who would never slept together, but we was friends. And we went to boarding school together and I kept his picture. Coming into another country, you want to have memories of someone who maybe treated you nice or who was your friend. 
and I put it on my bed. She tore it down and went, why are you putting a picture of those boys in, you're no longer in Africa? Take down the picture and she tore the picture. She took it out of the wall where my bed was and tore it. And I was crying. I said, mom, please. She just tore it and just threw it on the bed. And I took the picture, tried to put it together, but it was too rude. So I threw it away. She took my passport immediately I came to England. She actually took my passport. She refused to give me my passport. I had a Nigerian passport, but it was in definite state to remain in the country on the behalf of my mother because I was a minor. First thing she said, if you don't want to go to mixed school, you have to go to all girls school. I said, okay, mom, if that's the case, she gave two names of the school. One was a Catholic school called Brumbley School based in Isaworth. And then there was another one called Brentford School for Girls that was in Brentford, not too far away from Isaworth. I said, mom, okay, I'll go to the Catholic school. Me and her sat down and agreed that I'll go to the Catholic school. But in order to go to the Catholic school, you have to have papers of baptism. So she needed to baptize. When it came to me always getting myself ready to go to the Catholic church, to be baptized, to get, she would always have excuse. In England or in any way in the West, especially in England, which I'm aware of, when a minor or a child comes into the country, they have to be in some kind of education, but they have to be schooled or else you could be person. Basically, the mother could be fined or would be in trouble with the government. So quite quickly, she decided you have to go to school quick. She decided to put me in Brentford School for Girls. I'm crying. I said, mom, please, I don't want to go. I went to the Brentford School for Girls. All this while, when I had in Nigeria, when they took my blood, the sheets with the blood, that was a porthole for my demonic possession. That was what they'd done, those women were done, had done. That particular man was not human. That particular man right now in Nigeria is some kind of a politician. I'm, I'm going somewhere with this and has made money from myself. These, those women were all mommy water spirits. They, all, they were all a part of a cult. So when they took my sheets with the, with the blood, the blood became a significance of my DNA. When they offered it to the, the mermaid spirit, which is the water goddess spirit, mommy water, what had happened Anywhere in the world I went, it didn't matter whether I went to Japan, wherever in the world, my DNA is linked to the demonic world. That's where my possession started. So when I came to England, I then all of a sudden, I don't know what it's called, my base chakra started spinning a lot. I'm only 13 years old. This has nothing to do with being sexually active because I've only had sex with one man who, a pedophile, who had sex with me at the age of 13. So I get to England and this man who's living on the third floor, this Jamaican man, he sees me around in the compound. He goes, come upstairs. My mother would treat me like a household. She would detach me away from my sister. I'll tell you where all of the uh, manipulation really started in when I came to England and where she really started to do one, you know, to spin my head around, 
to make me feel like I'm not a part of the family. One day, she took me to Tesco's, our local Tesco's in the estate. And I went to this Tesco's once with her. And there was a crossing zebra. My sister was only five years old. And at the time, I would have been 13, either 13 or 14 years old when I just first arrived into the country. I'm crossing. She said to me, go to Tesco's. I said, okay, mom, I'll take my little sister. I'm so happy taking my little sister. Lisa, I'm not lying to you, but do you know what happened? My sister and I was walking in the pavement, right? I was holding my little sister's hand carefully, tightly, and I'm waiting for a car to make sure it's clear. I'm looking left, I'm looking right. Guess what my little sister does? All of a sudden from nowhere, it looked like it was magic. I'm not lying to you. Our car just came zoom and my little sister just immediately let go of my hand. And the car, I didn't even see the car coming because I was looking left and looking right because my mother, said to me, look, this is how you cross the roads over here. The roads are not the same in Nigeria. And she said to me, this is how you look at the road. I'm holding my sister tightly. My sister is on my right hand and the car is coming. I move my sister to the left and I'm holding her hands tightly. I look, there is no car coming, but something says, wait. I wait properly. The next thing I know, my little sister runs out of my hands to the crossing zebra. And guess what happened? A car just came from nowhere, knocked my sister down. And an ambulance, I'm screaming and scared and called an ambulance. I ran upstairs. I called my mother. She came downstairs and people, and they got her to the hospital. She's got a scar on her left side to actually show it. Do you know I was blamed for that? I was made to feel that. You can never be, take your sister out as I grew older and as I got used to the, you know, how things works in England. She blamed me for the, my sister's um, accident. Then she put me to Brentford School for Girls. I was being bullied. This is where I actually got to meet my mistress. She was all a part of the plot. Everything was already staked before I came. I had, my life couldn't have gone any different. Let me put it that way. So I went to Brentford School for Girl. I got bullied. I was being called an ape. You're ugly. Go back to where you come from. I was so lovely. I used to give, oh, sorry. Take your time. Yeah, so I'm so sorry. I was being, my mother dressed me up like a geek. When other girls were supposed to either be wearing skirts just above or below their knee level, she would make me dress like a nun. She would put uh, my, my uniform had to be long right to the bottom where I could not even move my legs. And I'm carrying this big massive bags with books that I didn't need that particular day. And kids would be laughing at me how I was dressed and how I looked because my English was not so perfect. And she used to give me money for love. And I had spare money, like maybe sometimes five pounds, sometimes 10 pounds to buy treats for myself. And I saw a lot of girls in that school, nobody in that school, everyone, the school, the teachers, 
did not care about the students, the school kids well, would be smoking drugs in the school, outside of the school, being rude to the school, flirting with the teachers, bunking school, a thing they call where during school hours, they, they do not go to classes to go and meet their boyfriends or to smoke weed or they never became something in life to give back to the community, basically. I met this girl, this Jamaican girl, very tall. So I was so bullied so badly that I would be crying one day. One girl, an Indian girl who saw me being bullied, she said, you know what, I don't, I hate this school. No one cares. She took me, she said to me during lunch period, let's go. I left the school. She tried to get me to smoke weed. I took a puff, I coughed, I said, I don't like it. She tried to get me to take crack. Boyfriend, older boyfriend, who was older than her, would smoke crack and would offer her crack and cocaine and alcohol. And, she, and the only thing I could handle was the drink at a time. When I came back to the school, she said, I said, let's go. I kept on saying to her, I want to go back. I can't, I don't like this. And she goes, would you rather go there for people to bully you or would you rather be here? I said, you're right. So when I went back with her, it was closing hours. I was new. The teachers knew that I was being bullied all this while. They never did nothing about it. It came a time when I got home that same day, they called my mother, she came to the school. She slapped me in my face in front of the teacher and pulled my ears all the way into the car, telling me, I didn't bring you from Nigeria to come and do this. I got in the car. When I got home, I got smacked with a cane by her husband at the time, which is now her ex-husband. Beat me up with a cane. I got told to pick pin. Pick pin is something where you put your hand one finger, I don't know if this is called index finger. You put one index finger, your right finger down, and then you lift up your left legs while your, your, your right leg is on the floor, but you have to be straight. You have to lift it in such a way that it hurts you. I could do that for half an hour. This is what they do also in Nigeria, but I had to do this here. My mother at this time during her pregnancy was still pregnant. She, they would admit her in the hospital. So I was just alone with this man that I was so uncomfortable with. I just thought, hold on, did I come from Nigeria suffering, thinking I'm coming to join my mother to be treated like a house slave? I decided to run away. I ran away. I went to the bus stop. I didn't know where I was to go. I'm crying. This pedophile saw me and said what's wrong because I was really in tears I said I'm not treated nicely I came to join my mother and I'm being mistreated I've been telling my mother that I'm being bullied at school and my stepfather nobody's listening to me no one's doing anything and then one day when it was time for end of year party before you move on to the next grade my mother did my hair in lovely pigtails and made me look really nice. And I went there and you know, all the girls stood around me. There was about 20 of them all around in circle. I'm in the middle. They're poking me, pushing me. I'm falling on the floor. 
they're wanting to all start fights with me. Then this tall Jamaican girl comes through, very deep, hossy voice, like a man, big ears, broad nose, with a patch and a ponytail, patch on her left side and a ponytail. And she's turning around, what's going on? Everyone's scared of her. At this point, I believe she had left, she had been kicked out of the school, but she still came to the school. So she said, what's going on here? And she goes, leave the girl alone. Why would you do that to the girl? The next thing I know, the girl says to me, it's okay, I'll protect you. So I thought, oh, thank God, I found someone who's now going to be my friend and protect me. This is where the whole grooming and the whole thing started. She said to me, you're very beautiful. People would bully you because you're very beautiful. Look at your skin, look at your hair, look at your shape, like you're very pretty. She took me to her mother's house. There was an activities going on in her house. I saw her being moved from left to right evil entity in her house. She said, now I want you to start dressing up in short skirts. This is how people like to dress. She goes, look, they're bullying you because you're dressed like, you need to start dressing different. You need to show a bit of cleavage. You need to show, you know, show your legs. You've got beautiful legs. And she gave me her short skirt to wear. And she started curling my hair with curlers. And then she put makeup on me for the first time. She goes, see, you look nice. She took a picture. See, you look nice. And everyone was sitting there. Yeah, you look nice. She introduced me to her mother, to her little sister. And then one day, when they finally found me, because I didn't know where to go to, I finally went back to the house. My stepfather hit me again. So my mother had given me a spare phone, but she wasn't there. She was still in the hospital. I called her and I said, mom, I can't stay in this house no more. She goes, look, just stay there. I'm going to be coming home very soon. Bear with him. Ignore him. Close the door. When I did that, he would come in shouting at me. You are a lazy this. I paid for you to get to England. And this is how you're acting. We sent you to school. Even if you're being bullied, you're not going there to make friends. You should be able to, you know what you're going there to do to better your life. I'm crying and you're going to respect me. I'm your mother's husband. My mother finally came back. My mother will give me, make food or drinks for me to go and give to him. I would like the servant. One day, got myself ready for school early hours of the morning. So I got in the bath quickly, but what it was, I didn't mop the floor. There was a sprinkle of water on the floor and I wasn't aware of. So I just come, had my towel on, went into my room that I shared with my little sister at the time. I covered myself. So as I took off the towel, about to dress up, I hear some him screaming. He comes in. He throws down my towel, hits my buttocks, my backside, and says, I have told you so many times, hitting me constantly in my buttocks. But he doesn't do the same thing he's asking me to do. My mother doesn't do the same thing. So I'm like, I'll do it in a minute. Please, I'm naked. I try to get my towel back on. He goes, now. I said, please. 
uncle, I'm going to do it in a bit. He pushes down the towel, he hits me. I said, don't hit me. You're not my father. You're hitting me in my bed. I'm not dressed. Can you get out of the room? I said to him, please excuse me, out of the room. He's like, no, I'm not going. This is my house. I pay the rent. He goes, and I hit you again. And then he hits me crying and shouting. And my mother comes to me. She goes, what's wrong? I said, mom, he just hit me. She turned around. She said, it's okay. It's okay, my daughter. It's okay. And she goes to, to her husband at the time. It's okay. Just leave her. Leave her for now. I'll talk to her. When he did that, I got so angry. And I'm thinking, this man who I don't like, I don't know who he is. You're hitting me. I said to him, I'm going to call the police. He goes, call the police. So I dialed 999. He's shouting at me and threatening me. And I'm thinking my mother is not even sticking up for me, nothing. Police comes to the house. I said, this man has just hit me. I'm 13 years old. I'm a minor in a house. When these things happen, in England, they call social services. But they call, the police comes. And then they said to me, what do you want this man to do? I said, look, I want him arrested. I want him to be told not to hit me again. I said, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Telling me to. I said, no, he's been bullying me all this while. So they take him to the cell for the day. He comes back in the evening. I believe it was the same. But later on that evening, when he got in, he got angry at me. I opened, I didn't know it was him initially because I put the latch on the door. So he had the keys. I heard someone trying to open the door with the keys, but they couldn't get in. So they had to press the doorbell. So I go and I say, who is I look in the keyhole and I'm like, it's him. So I'm scared. So I opened the door and he looked at me with such evil intent. And he goes, you will pay for them. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got locked up. What can you do? I'm a child. I don't know what a man of 30-something years of age could do to a 13-year-old girl. So the next thing I know, I saw him paying money to the guy, the Jamaican guy that lives on the third floor, on the same block as ours, estate as ours. I didn't know what was going on. He would take me to certain places in England. This same girl as well in school, I'd take me to the same places. But a lot of the places they taking me to, I'm meeting men. One meeting sex, sex places where, like, there was a place in West Ealing where there was a, there, there was, they do sex, they sell lingerie and sex on the, on the wares and sexy stuff, things to do with sex. At the time, I wasn't even aware, but now I'm aware. They actually sell videos of pedophilia going on there. They sell behind the counter. They sell videos of older men having group sex with little girls and anal raping girls. And guess who took me there the first time? The girl from the school. Mm-hmm. Who took me to that same area the first time? My mother. Our church was not too far away from there. Then one day I was crying so much because I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know who to turn to. The guy from the States turned around and said to me, come upstairs. It was maybe in the evening time. 
<laughs> sorry. You have nothing to apologize for. I'm sorry, this is so hard. No, it's okay, because you know I have to give awareness. He took, he said to me, come upstairs. When I went upstairs, he lived in a one bedroom flat in the estate. He used the mechanic place as the garage. And my stepfather at the time was paying him money, but I didn't know what it was. And I know definitely it wasn't for the car. One day when I went upstairs, I'm thinking his life's gonna be okay. I'm going to talk to your mother and your father, just come upstairs. I went upstairs. I'm thinking, wow, all my life I was thinking maybe I'm going to find one person so I would, would at least help me fix what was going on. One disappointment after that, when I got there, he had made the room dark. He had a sofa and he was smoking marijuana. And then when I went in, he said to me, he turned the Jamaican music reggae just slightly up. And he said to me, talk to me what happened. Do you know that house was soundproofed? They had actually, he's put a recorder in the house, but I wasn't even aware of. And do you know, he offered me, he goes to me, it's okay, I'm going to talk. I'm your friend. I'm going to talk to them. Don't worry, I know your mother. Your father is my friend. I'll talk to them. And I'm telling him how I've been bullied at school. I'm mentioning the girl's name. I'm mentioning everything. He's like, don't worry. I'm your friend. I'm going to make everything better. He offers me marijuana. I smell it. I say, what's that? I'm coughing. He said, no, 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 don't worry. It's, it's going to make you feel better. So I take a pull as I'm crying. I all of a sudden stop crying. Then he goes, see, I told you it was going to make you feel better. Then he goes, take another pull. I take another pull. And that was it. And then all of a sudden, I stopped the crying and I started talking to him. He goes, look, you're very beautiful. A beautiful girl like you, you shouldn't be crying. You should be happy. You have so much to live for. I'm thinking, wow, someone is at least taking my side. And then the next thing he does, he goes to the kitchen. And he goes to pour a drink, whiskey. At that time, I was not allowed to drink whiskey. I'm underage. And he comes back. He says, drink it. I say, I taste a little bit. And I'm like, I don't like it. He's like, no, drink some more. I drink it. Do you know he had actually been spiting my drink? And I wasn't even aware. So all of a sudden, I can't see. I'm wavy. It's like... I'm tripping into another dimension. I can't see him properly. He's like, you okay? I'm like, no, I can't see. He's like, don't worry, don't worry. And then the next thing I know, he starts touching me, my legs. And he goes, you've got beautiful legs. He said, look how pretty you are. And he's like, you know what I want? I love you. Talking about love now to a 13-year-old. And he goes, I will talk to them. That incident happened. I left. I thought, okay, I've got a friend. He goes, if you ever need a friend, I'm always here. I'm like, okay. I'm a bit shaky about him touching my leg. And then I go back to the house. He keeps recording. Same thing again. Being abused. Then another time he said, come. Come this evening. It was an evening time. It, I think it was coming up to about 8 p.m. 
I left my mother's house when I got upstairs. The music was on. This time around, he did not offer me the weed. This time around, he offered me a drink. But he had increased whatever he had done. So I took a sip. I started sweating. I'm very hot, like I'm hot from the inside out. He closes the window and makes it very dark. He, the house looked red. And this time I'm drinking because I'm crying so much. The next thing I know, I end up in his bed. I don't know how I went from his sofa to his bed, naked, no clothes on. Then the next thing I know, I wake up and he's having sex with me anally. I'm not even experienced at sex at all. He's saying to me, I love you, you can take this. This is what we do over here. You're a woman now, like grooming me, actually grooming me. I'm screaming, I'm shouting, it's covering my mouth when I'm trying to take my, you know, sort of move my head away so I can scream or breathe. I'm having my head on the bed. Then the next thing I know, he finishes having anal sex with me. I think I'm resting, but I'm being spied. My drink, the drugs that he's put in is already my system. I can't move. I can't fight. Feel someone coming back to have sex with me the second time. But this time around, they rubbed something inside of me. So it was a bit more easier to slip through. As this kept on how it, it's crazy because when once you're being a child is being groomed, the man will always say, I love you. They'll always make you think that they're the only ones who can help you, that no one will believe you. He started saying things like, I love you. You're my girlfriend now. A 30-something-year-old man saying to a 13-year-old girl, I love, you're my girlfriend. This is being a pedophile. I don't know who to share my information with. My mother was so caught up in her pregnancy and my little sister at the time and her husband, she was playing happy home, that my needs was never met as a little child. When the police was called, for my stepfather. Do you know that my mother says she didn't want the social services involved? She chased the social services away and the social services never looked into the family. Hold on, if this man's hitting her, who's not her father, on her bare back, we should come in and investigate. They didn't take that on. Then I finally ran away. A girl who one day, who was living across the road from me, by the bus stop, saw me one night sitting in the cold. She asked me, what's going on? I said to her, I, I hate my mother. I hate my life. I said how I wanted to kill myself. And she said to me, don't worry about it. Just come. She said to me, just come. My mother's lovely. Her mother said, it's okay. Your friend can stay over. I stayed for two days. After two days, family members was coming to the house. I had to leave. Then I came back to the, I had to come back to the house again. I don't know who to turn to once again. One time, the girl from the school called me. She said, you can come and stay at my mother's house. That's where it all started. She started taking me to parties. And in the party, she would take me to the park. She would bully me in front of the boys, told me to give them oral sex in the park. I didn't know about oral sex. So I'm giving oral sex. I'm so scared. I was so scared of this girl. 
and she was well feared and she she got she went by intimidation and so I had sex with the guy at some point I became so I wanted the marijuana to stop me from crying and from the hurt I was feeling so I would do anything for the marijuana she was a marijuana smoker her boyfriend was selling marijuana and was under tag by the police but he never had to stay in the country he was on license one day I was in the park I was walking around she made me walk around the high street not even having a shower at times she was pregnant at the time and I was so thirsty and hungry after taking you know last people's marijuana you know the butts the one they call the last part just to try and get high I said, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. Every time I had money, she would take my money away from me. She would bully me, she would steal my money. She always knew where I lived. At some point, the social services got involved. Instead of them to take care of me and find out what was going on, they didn't. They put me in a bed and breakfast with someone who was bullying me and who was into street gangsters and stuff. I said, I'm thirsty. Do you know what she did? Her boyfriend pissed in a Evian bottle and said, here is apple juice. I'm like, oh, thank you. God bless you. So I went to drink and I drank his piss and I realized I spat it out and it smelled. Everyone started laughing. Everyone started laughing at me. And then another day, I'm walking with her on the street. She's giving me packages to go and give to men across the road, but she's standing away. She's had a child now. When that incident happened, her boyfriend tried bullying me. So finally I thought, since my mother won't help me, I don't have nobody. Hopefully the police would help me. I went to try and report her and her boyfriend to the police. The police could not arrest her because they're all a part of it. The occult and the criminal world, they're all one. And then you have the corrupt police as well. Do you know what the police said to me? The police said to me, there's nothing they can do about the girl, but as for the boy, they said, what's his name? I gave the details. They found out that he was staying in the country legally. So they deported him back to Tanzania. So I hated me for that now. Now I, I now had two enemies now, besides my mother and my stepfather, I really did have another enemy, my stepfather and this girl who apparently made me think I was her friend initially at school. This concludes part one of the interview with Isabel and we will continue it next time. I know it's very hard to listen to, it's very sad all that she went through and being alone, but we are gonna to get to the point where she gets to Jesus and makes some friends and get saved and delivered and set free. So hang on for part two.